You know, they, they really are trillionaires. We like to use that term. They're not about more. They're not about taking the selfie places. They, they want thrills in their life and they want to do things. And part of that they understand is meeting people in places. And they really are, are open to that. They have the the O gene, the openness gene. And not everybody has that type of person. And uh, it really does help them. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 413. The United Arab Emirates has the world's most powerful passport, allowing its holders to enter 179 countries without needing to get a visa. And another 19 where you only have to get a visa upon arrival. Little country, big passport. I'm super excited to have Chase as the sponsor of today's show because if you've been following us for any length of time, you know that Chase has been my favorite credit card company ever since I started learning how to use travel rewards points way back in 2011. The Chase card that I've recommended for beginners just getting started has been the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. It's been that way for years and it's still my favorite card for beginners. The best part about the Chase Sapphire Preferred Card is that it earns you Chase Ultimate Rewards Points, which you can transfer to a host of great partners like United, Southwest, and Hyatt, or you can use directly through Chase Ultimate Rewards and book any flight, hotel, or car rental with no blackout dates. It's an absolute no-brainer. If you're looking to get started in earning travel rewards points, the Chase Sapphire Preferred is the card you need to get. To check out more information on all the great perks of the Sapphire Preferred card, plus the other great offerings from Chase, you can go to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. To be totally transparent, we do receive compensation from Chase as a sponsor, but all these opinions are my opinions only, and you know I'd only ever recommend something that I absolutely love and use myself, like Chase. So head on over to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is the winner of the 1989 Human Race, where he traveled over 40,000 miles in 17 days, someone who was named the world's greatest traveler by National Geographic Traveler in 2002, and who is the founder and ringmaster of the Global Scavenger Hunt, Bill Chalmers from GlobalScavengerHunt.com. Bill, thanks for joining me. A huge welcome. Well, thank you, Travis. I've been a fan of yours for a while, so thanks for having me on. Yeah, we have a lot to unpack. You have done quite a lot of adventures, lifetimes full of adventures, and plenty more to come. But I want to just start with how did this all come about? How did this idea of putting together a global scavenger hunt even come about? Where was the genesis for that? 
Well, thanks for asking. And uh, it's good sometimes doing radio and, and uh, smaller format time-wise, you don't get into a lot of background. So I appreciate being able to get into some background on this because people don't know where it comes from. And uh, I think it's a unique aspect to it. Uh, like you mentioned, 1989, I was involved in a race around the world on public transportation. It was very much like a Jules Verne's around the world in 80 days kind of stuff. And I happened to be on a Pan Am airline plane. They're not even around anymore, as you as you know. And I was flying to London and I saw this little blurb. It was only about an inch, inch and a half big in the New York Times travel section that said around the world travel competition planned. And as soon as I saw it, I said, I got to do this. I got to do this. And so uh, that was in the in the spring. The event was to happen in the fall. And I got myself a partner and I got myself some sponsors to pay for the seed money to get in it. And I entered the event and I entered it with my best friend at the time. He was a we were both in graduate school and studying international relations, of course. And he's also a stand up comedian. And we got, entered the event with 14 other teams of two. And we traveled around the world on public transportation, and we were lucky enough to do it in 17 days and won the event. And yes, as you mentioned, some scribe somewhere has called us in different publications, world's greatest travelers. And I always travel. I always wanted to do the event again. I was chomping at the bit to, to do it the next year. And it was a one-off. It was so logistically perilous, the guy could never, ever pull it off again. And 10 years later, my now wife was editing a book, a manuscript I wrote immediately after that event, which was kind of my version of Hunter S. Thompson around the world in, in 17 days, Gonzo Tale. And she said, if you ever wanted to do something like this, I'd be game. And I filed it away and I was on a trip of all places, believe it or not, in Nepal and at a high altitude. I think it was my lack of oxygen in my brain that uh, took away my normal thought process and said, you know, Bill, you could do this in your version of how you want this to be because you participated in it. You have the passion for it. And literally 10 years later, I said, OK, let's see if we can do this. And I really did not think we'd be doing it for 20 years, I have to tell you. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah, let, I mean, that is amazing. I love that the story behind it, that, that you had participated in it. And when I read that, I was going to ask you, did it happen again? Obviously, you gave us the answer, no. Uh, the only person who was in Nepal with a lack of oxygen in their brain enough to do it would be you, right, to bring it back. And so, all right, you've been doing it 20 years. What did those first couple years or even the first year look like? Because there's a point where you get to, you know, it's all fun and you're going to do it and you're excited. And then obviously the work comes in, right? And, and, and all that. So how did you, how did you pull off the first year? What did that look like? How did you even get it out? How'd you get the word out? And, and like walk us through those first couple years of it. And then we'll, we'll delve into how it's changed sure. and all. Sure. Well, again, thanks for asking because, you know, I am I am going to write a book. It's 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 moving along. Uh, it'll probably be out another two years. It's called Ringmaster. And it's about my whole time of putting all this together because it is it is an interesting situation. Uh, but 
You know, we started in the year 2000 and, and uh, we said, okay, let's do it. And we started, uh, it was a different era back then. And you had to actually send out faxes to, to, uh, to newspapers who actually had travel sections. And uh, it was a different, more genteel time. There was no social media. There was no real internet at that time to speak of. I mean, again, this is going back 20 years, 1999, 2000. And uh, we sent word out. I think the first thing written about us was, I think, the Oakland Tribune in October 2000. And it was for our event that was scheduled for our first event was scheduled for October 2001. So publicity started a year in advance and people already started to sign up. And that we got that we, we felt good about that. Uh, we, we put ads, funny little thing here. We put an ad in, uh, I think it was Outside Magazine about the travel adventure. And you know, one of those little ads at the back of the magazine, it had a picture of the globe and it said, wanted the world's greatest travelers. We still use that. And it was the funniest thing, Travis. Uh, we got hundreds and hundreds of postcards and we couldn't understand where this came from and it came from the ad. And then we started looking at all these people who wanted more information and we started figuring it out. 90% of the people who were responding to our ads were in penitentiaries. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you why they were doing this other than they were lonely and they wanted people to mail them. It was the weirdest thing. We got all of a sudden we're in Lafayette, Louisiana. We got Alabama. We got, you know, a, a Chico, California. And we're looking at this. Why we got all these weird, obscure things? And they were from prisoners in penitentiaries. <laughs> Needless to say, they weren't going on our adventure. <laughs> right. But not your target we, market. We got it all set. We, we got it all set up. We we're all ready to go. Uh, and we were the summer of 2001 came around. Uh, and then we got wind up. There was another uh, event that, that was uh, being taking place that was actually filming right around that time. And it was a, a thing called the Amazing Race. And they coincided with us. We started before they did, but they coincided with us. We were ready to start October and 9-11 rolled around. And 9-11 changed our world. It changed the world we live in in a macro way and in a micro way changed our events because we obviously could not pull off our events. Uh, our phones were ringing off the wall that morning. Uh, we were blissfully sleeping, sadly, when all the bad things were happening because we were on the West Coast and uh, all, all our people were panicky. It was a real problem. We were to leave it a month later and the world, world had really changed. Uh, we didn't know where the other shoe was going to drop. So we had to cancel our first event, all ready to go. And we had to cancel. So we decided to push it to the spring of 2002. And we did do our first event then, and it was a different time, a different era. It was a lot of fun, uh, and it was a Grace of God Productions, that's for sure, because, you know, it was a big jigsaw puzzle, and there were still a few pieces under the couch before we went out the door. Yeah, so walking through that then, you, you pull that off that first year, and you're like, wow, this was a bit crazy. Um, you know, like, we, we it worked, but what then 
spurred you on to do the next year and the next year and the next year or was it or was there never even a thought was there was it never like hey we're not going to do this it was always just it worked let's keep going let's keep going let's keep going yeah well i mean it was it was the first one i mean obviously the first one was canceled then we did the second one 2002 and then we had so many people from around the world that found us i mean we had been written about in that first year you know, maybe 200 times in newspapers around the world. I mean, the Bangkok Post, uh, the South China Morning Post, all the major papers in the United States. Uh, you know, I did lots of radio. We did television the first year. Uh, we did all kinds of stuff. We had production people who wanted to, to produce it and change it. And we never allowed that to happen. And so we said, well, we got to do it again. We did it once. You know, maybe it was just dumb luck that we were able to pull it off, right? Because luck's got a lot to do with everything. And then we said, okay, let, let's let's give it another go. And we had people who were ready to go. And so we, we said, okay, let's do it in the spring instead of the fall every year. And we said, okay. So we started, we were going to do it for 2003. 2003 rolls around. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know, maybe I have to tell you, but in 2003, you're a young guy. 2003, the Iraq war started. But that wasn't the biggest issue. The biggest issue was SARS was a pandemic. And it closed a lot of airports. It closed areas. And about 45 days out, we were ready to go in April. And about 45 days out, we had a conference call with all our teams. And we talked about them. And for the most part, they were a worldly bunch. They understood I wasn't going to put them in harm's way. We were not going to China. We were going to different areas in Southeast Asia, but we were not going to China. And uh, we basically said, should we go or should we not go? And it was about a 50-50 vote by everybody. I wanted to listen to everybody, and we did. And basically the biggest issue was, Travis, was people were worried at that time in the spring of 2003. They were worried about the war and what repercussions that was going to have, if it was going to get bigger and the SARS issue. But they were mostly worried about folks back home worrying about them. And they didn't want that. They didn't want that. So our, our second event, we had to cancel again. And we had to sit on our butts for a whole year with a great group of travelers to do it again in 2004. So, you know, what's that sign of insanity hitting yourself or doing something again over and over again, expecting different results? Right. It's pretty clear we're insane. Right. Because you're at this point one for three, <laughs> right? And we're, we're one for three. You're one yes. for three. You say we're doing yeah. it again. But then as we go further down the timeline, 2004 happens. And, and I know I, I read in there somewhere you guys took two years off um, because you had little kids and all that. But yeah. since then, have you missed any other years because of world no. events? Okay. No, no. We've, been, we've, been, we've been very consistent, Travis, since then. We did do uh, two more back-to-back. -back, so, wow, we had three in, okay? So now we're three out of five. <laughs> uh, and then we had a baby. And, you know, I, it's a mom-and-pop business, and I wouldn't think about doing it without Pamela. Uh, she's the people person. I'm the logistics person. And so without her to herd the cats and tame the lions, it's, it's a very different event with just me going out and doing this. Uh, I'm a, you know, 
pick your freaking bag up and let's go kind of guy. And, you know, she's more, come on, we can do this. You know, we can get there. And, and so it's very important to have her. And uh, we had a young child and he just was not ready to travel yet. And so we took two years off. Since then, we have now done, uh, we did 13 in a row, so we're on our 16th. So we do have a longevity now going on. But, you know, in 20 years, things have radically changed. Yeah, once you get past the insanity, then it all works out is what you're saying, right? You just keep persevering through the insane moments and it works out. What You mentioned that then, things have radically changed. Obviously, a lot has changed in the world. You know, you talked about the internet, social media. All that kind of stuff going to change. It changes the way everyone travels, not just uh, for your competition and all. But what then have you noticed as some of the biggest changes, both, I mean, both positive and maybe something that I, I don't want to say negative, but just a change that is something you, you can't get back. Like it's never going to be the same as year one, year three, year four, what have you. Yeah, well. There's, there, there are a lot of changes. I mean, I don't know if you can picture our first year out the door, uh, you know, pre-smartphones, pre-internet, pre-internet check-in. We had to carry tickets with us, paper tickets, because our travelers don't know where they're going, okay? So we had the tickets for them for each flight that they were taking and we, you know, you got 20 people traveling with you and they each have nine, 10 tickets. We had a stack that was, you know, a half a meter tall of tickets that we were carrying with us. And back then tickets were cash. So it's like a, a bag full of paper, full of cash that were tickets for airplanes that you just show up and you hand it at the counter in Bangkok to get on the plane to go to Kathmandu. And it's anybody could really use that ticket. It doesn't have to be the person's name on it back then. We have different rules now about how that works. So ticket, think about that. Have you ever had a paper ticket? I, I've had paper tickets, but I've never had one where like you, I could just go up. Like it's always been since I've started traveling, really. Yeah. Your name's no, on it. You, you know, they make sure it's the right person getting on the plane. I actually had a friend right. tell me the other day she got on the wrong plane. I, I feasibly, ca I cannot wrap my mind around I don't know how, how that she happened. was able to do it. Yeah. But she, and she's, yeah. she's very flighty, so I who knows? Yeah. But yes, I, I well, I mean, that that that's a big part about it. I mean, I'm not even going to get into the smartphone part of it because that is, and we could spend a half hour talking about that, good and bad, uh, how that is absolutely revolutionized travel. I mean, absolutely. But I mean, we, we have nation inflation. There are more nations now than there were 20, 25 years ago. I mean, people don't realize that. There's there are several. There's 34 new countries that have cropped up in the last 20, 25 years. I mean, think about that. Uh, currency, you know, currency contraction. There used to be every country used to have their own currency and now it's not the case. Uh, Europe, of course, one currency with the Euro and then secondary, you know, you can get money anywhere with ATMs and, and you couldn't you couldn't do that 20, 25 year, years ago. Uh, digital cameras, believe it or not, there was a time we had took a picture, you only took 24, because they were expensive and you actually had to go to some place and you had to get them developed. <laughs> okay. I, I'm sorry to date me, but that's how that's 20 years ago. People had to get their film developed, which was funny because on our first trip, Travis, one of the things we asked them to do is to prove that they've done a scavenge. And one of the ways they prove it is by taking a picture of themselves, what we call a selfie, 
of them at these places. But this is pre-selfie. This is pull. This is you know with thirty-five millimeter camera. And they would have to if we were. I remember we were in Bali one time, and we were on our way to the next destination. And I was proving, you know, getting the proofs that they did what they said they did and they could prove it, that they were at this temple, that they saw this thing, that they did these things and their pictures proved it. And they had to go to a local photo mat place and get their pictures developed in, in Bali. And it was like, yeah, they got them done. They sat there and waited for them for an hour, an hour and a half until they got them done. And, you know, that's radically changed. Um uh, yeah, nowadays that you know, would that would be ge- the scavenger hunt thing, right? That would be the oh, task. It's yeah, like nowadays it would be go yeah, find a way yeah. to get this picture developed. I mean, it, that'd be harder than yeah. anything you probably have on the list. Well, I laugh now that there's a retro desire to go back, you know, like vinyl and everything, and it's like one of them is to go back to 35 millimeter cameras with film. I say, good luck to you. Yeah, <laughs> that. That's not going to be a fun one. Uh, roller bags. You know, there were no roller bags 20, 25 years ago. Now think of that. Uh, yeah, that you know, is um, Boutique hotels. There were no boutique hotels. You either had the high-end Western style, you know, five-star hotels, or you had youth hostels. There was really nothing in between. Uh, nothing nice in between, that's for sure. Needless to say, online booking, a GPS. Now think about that one. Now we go. Now we're moving to the smartphone, right? You could get lost twenty years ago. You cannot get lost anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's so many changes, and 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 what's crazy about it is it was only twenty twenty five years ago, right? I mean, that's not that long ago. I'm thirty seven, so when I say twenty twenty five years ago, I mean it's all time periods that I have memories of. I wasn't traveling the way I am now, so. You know, I don't have the travel memories of that, but it's, yeah, we're talking half a generation ago. You know, it's it's not some crazy, oh, yeah, back in the, you know, 1940s, this was happening. It's just, it has progressed so quickly with the advent of the internet and the smartphone and, and all that. So quickly. Things just. Yeah. I mean, the smartphone is really, I mean, we had flip phones back then. We were barely texting when it first, when we first started, barely texting. It clearly wasn't a smartphone because they only came out in 2005. So they are, you know, they're only 13, 14 years old uh, with widespread appeal. And that, like I said, that I can talk to you at length about. That's changed everything. That I mean, for good and for bad. But the confidence of travelers now with uh, the use of their smartphone is is truly breathtaking uh, in how how they use it and what it can be used for as a tool. Uh, and it's it's truly amazing what you can do and, and and how little you have to take with you. It really cuts down on on your packing. It cuts down on what you have to take with you. Uh, just everything, everything. It is truly a remarkable tool. It, it really, really is. So when P, when you started this and and nowadays even what. For people who who haven't heard of it and don't understand what's going on, let's talk about what the what it actually is, what the global scavenger hunt is. So, is it a race, and how? Yeah, just break down how it works for people because you are you're taking people on this adventure as well. Like you're you're a part of it. Sure. Well, as I mentioned, so we start this event and what the event is. So we, we, we talked about the big macro picture of, the, of doing the event. But what the event actually is, is every spring now we take a group of teams. It's the happy medium for me is between 12 and 15 teams of two. 
So 24 to 30 people. I will tell you there is a difference between 30 people traveling and 24 people traveling, the dynamic, the group dynamic changes. But basically what this is, is it's an annual event and it's the World Travel Championship. And we go around the world in 23 days. And we touch base in 10 countries while we circumnavigate the globe, but we don't tell them which countries they're going to. So it's a blind date with the world, but it's a good blind date with the world. So it's a blind date with the world. When they're in those countries, they're given a list of scavenges that they have to figure out how to do. And it's their team, the, two, the dynamic of their teammates to figure out which ones they can do which ones they want to do, and then could go do them. And all the scavenges are based on our risk-reward bonus system. So the more difficult they are, they're worth more points. The easier they are, they're worth less points. Uh, things that are more time-consuming or take more logistics are worth more points. So teams are competing with these other teams to amass points in each destination we go to. But it is not a race like the one I was in in 1989. It is a rally. You understand a rally is more of a stop-start situation. And quite frankly, the race I was on, I, you know, I'm not proud of this. It was a different time and a different era. And I look back, now I'm woke and I understand things differently than I was. But I was a cultural terrorist when I first did that event. I, you know, I looked at the world very differently. It was 1989. The wall was still up. The Soviet Union was still there. It was a different time and a different era. And I was a cultural Neanderthal. And I participated in the world in a very different way. It was all there for me to enjoy and participate and get drunk in and do wonderful, fun things that, you know, young 20-somethings do when they travel at that time in that era. But times have changed and I've changed and my focus has changed and why people do things has changed. And so the event is really geared about now trusting strangers in strange lands, asking directions, meeting people, doing cultural immersion things. It's very authentic, it's participatory, and it's competitive. Uh, and so at the end of each leg, each destination we're at, we tally up everybody's score. And we keep track of their score on a each leg basis and we go around the world and there's basically eight to 10 legs. And then the team that amasses the most points at the end of the uh, event, at the end of 23 days, is crowned the world's greatest travelers for that year. They win a free trip around the world to come back and defend their title the next year. And that's how we've gone for now 16 years. Very cool. So have all right let's talk about past winners then because this is fascinating right and and i love i do like your idea and and the differentiation between a rally and a race so everyone's going at the same pace like you're all getting on the same plane going to the next thing but while you're in the destination that's where you differentiate yourself based on what you decide to do and and as you're saying i guess there's so many tasks or, or a set amount of tasks in each place that you can't do all of them. So you really are making the decision of, do I do this one worth whatever, 10 points, or do I do this one or a few of these worth one, which is which is neat. So then we talk about past winners. Have there been repeat champions? Is there like, is there a Michael Jordan uh, or Wayne Gretzky uh, of the... Uh, 
of the global scavenger hunt. Let's t- like who is who have the winners been and what kind of demographics have they fallen into? Sure. Obviously, logistically, we have to set it up so we all travel and get to the same destination at the same time. Uh, when we get to our hotel, you know, we could be in that hotel for one day. We could be in that hotel for four days, depending on the region we are or what that leg looks like. All the teams are given the same booklet, but there's no way, Travis, they could do them all. So really up, they have to they have to triage which ones they can do and which ones they want to do, as I said, and as you said. And it's up to them to figure out what their strategy is. Uh, so no two teams, I'm really here to tell you, in any leg we've ever done, have done the same scavenges, which is really interesting to me. We've had people that you couldn't pay to go to find the 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 picture to the right of the Mona Lisa who wouldn't go into a museum if you could pay them but they will spend you know an hour and a half climbing the tallest building uh going the stairwell to get to the top so they can sneak in and get a picture at the top of a building that they're not supposed to be on so you know we have different different scavengers there's chutzpah involved in that now the question of who wins that's very interesting very very interesting uh, I will tell you that because it's a soft adventure, an adventure of the mind rather than a physical adventure or like stunts that I'm asking them to do, women do much better than men, much better. And I think the reason is, Travis, uh, you're married, I know, and uh, it's like women ask directions. Women are people, people. They, it's all about trusting strangers in strange lands. And if if a man is lost and he's not going to ask directions because his ego is attached to this and he can't, you know, lower himself to ask directions because he can't admit that he's lost, he's going to get loster. And that is what happens a lot. So the first two, three events, women won the event. And it was very gratifying for us. Very gratifying. They smiled. They opened doors. They snuck into things. They were able to, to go to places that, you know, two guys – traveling the way they would do, wouldn't do well, you know? Uh, and so women have done well on this event. Uh, one of the, we interview everybody and uh, we, we say no to a lot of teams, a lot of teams. It's not anybody that just signs up to this. You're vetted, you're travel bona fides. Uh, we get to know you. We of course want positive people, proactive people. We get people from all over the world that want to participate, and we really have to vet people. And one of the things that I worry about, Travis, is the karmic debris of breaking up a relationship. I think you'll agree with me that the first time you travel with someone that you think is a significant other or a potential down the road, it's an eye-opening experience. I would say it's an eye-opening experience every time I travel with Heather, you know, and it's been whatever it's been 13 years and every time it, we're kind of like well we're putting our relationships in our hands here right i mean it, it's certainly okay so so you're not you're not saying no to couples necessarily but it's it's certainly a, a i through through the through the vetting process we find out what their decision making process is and, you know, we have to figure out because they're on a daily basis for 23 days, they are traveling the world to places they've never been to. And every day, multiple times a day, they are attempting to do something or find something. And I'm telling you, 
a half a dozen times a day, one person is going to be pointing exactly due west and one person is going to be pointing exactly due east. And then they have to figure out who's right. And I don't want the karmic debris of a divorce. I mean, I used to say when I was dating in the dating world, I would call it the road test. And I would take people, gals on places and see how they did. And I have to tell you, most of them sunk. I'd take them to a third world country and it would be bad news. You know, it was like they're looking for three ply toilet paper and there's no three ply toilet paper here. You know, they're looking for their special, you know, amuse, uh, infused tea. And I'm sorry, that's just not here. They don't have that yet. They're a little behind the curve. I, you know, Pamela and I, our first country we went to, I took her to, I gave her a week's notice to get her visa, to get packed, to get ready, and we we're going to go to Burma, which is now Myanmar. But it was when it was closed, and we were it was a it was a grueling situation to get in the country, and you know she didn't know what to expect. I will tell you, obviously, she passed in flying colors. She had she had been on a European excursion, but she had never been to a developing country. And it was a mind-blowing experience. And, you know, there are developing countries and there are undeveloped developed countries. And at that time, Burma was one of those places. And she did well. So the road test is very important. And knock on wood, and I'm doing that right now, we have never had any divorces. But we have had babies. We've had marriages. We've had new friendships. We've had lots of great stuff come up. But, but no one is broken up because of it. But it has been it has been very altering for that. Now, to go to your question about do we have a Wayne Gretzky? And I like that because I'm a big hockey fan. Uh, we do. We do. We have had a team that has repeat been repeat winners, and they are a couple. Uh, they have traveled with us several times since 2008, and they do very well. They are very well educated, smart attorneys. And they are not married, and but they travel a lot together. Uh, they work on cases together. They do two things every year. They go to Burning Man and they do our event. And I don't know what that means, Travis, but I, we take it as a compliment. But they're really, really good at what they do. And, you know, they're, they're, they're very wealthy and they don't have to do some of the nitty gritty things that we ask people to do and they love doing it. It's like they live for this event. That's, that's fascinating. I love that they do burning man and your event. Like you said, yeah. I, Hey, there you go. So that's just some people want to get out of their element. That's, that's two ways to do it right there. You know, they, they really are thrillionaires. We like to use that term. They're not about more. They're not about taking the selfie places. They, they want thrills in their life and they want to do things. And part of that, they understand is meeting people in places. And they really are, are open to that. They have the the O gene, the openness gene. And not everybody has that type of person. And uh, it really does help them. What have you seen be the most, like what is the, the type of people that come on this the most as far as groups? Like you said, you, you have some couples, married couples. Sometimes I assume you probably have a lot of friends um, have you seen it kind of break down one way or the other? Like, all right, we have a lot of friends who come on this together. Or we have a lot of couples or, or have there been more, I'm just fascinated by demographics. Have there been more male partners, you know, males traveling with males, females with females, or do you just have a really wide swath when it comes to the people signing up? 
Yeah, so the demographics are, are skewed, as I mentioned, just slightly towards women. Uh, usually, you know, 30 to 55 are our numbers. Uh, and the reason is twofold. One is you have younger people, adventurers and travelers that really want to try something like this and see how the world goes. We do get a lot of people that have seen The Amazing Race and want to participate in this. They, they're couch potatoes, basically. Uh, they don't get to go. Uh, and so we vet them out. Uh, so they think they're going on a stunt show. And uh, and that's not what this is. And so that's not going to happen. Uh, we get a lot of empty nesters. So people who are at the end of their, you know, their, their, their kids are gone, but they were gung-ho travelers at some point in their life. Uh, we get a lot of uh, wealthy uh, people who want to win the world's greatest traveler crown, quite frankly. And for the first year, I had to figure out how to take money out of the equation because I just want someone to be able to participate in this and not for money to be part of the equation. And yes, you have to enter the event and it costs you know, money to enter the, the fees to enter. But once that's out, it's anybody's game. So if you have more will than wallet, you're going to do just as well as somebody that's got a big wallet because it's not about throwing money around. It's about meeting people and having experiences. So we've been able to equalize that. Uh, you know, we get buddy teams. My favorite teams, quite honestly, are uh, teams that there's uh, two generations involved in it. And it can either be a father and a son or a mother-daughter. Uh, or we've had one where it was a grandmother and she was a spry, you know, early 60s. But she was a flight attendant and she was a great traveler. I mean, a really great traveler. And she went with a younger, her, one of her younger grandchildren, uh, who was a teenager at the time. And he was a great traveler. They, they had all the bona fides. They were up for adventure. They'd gone around the world. They had traveled and they did really well. And it really was gratifying to see that. Uh, and so that was exciting. Uh, you know, Travis, when we started, we thought it was all about travel and about the places we we're going to. And for the most part, it is because of the backdrop, but it's really about the people. And uh, it's a very unique cocktail that we're able to put together each year. And uh, it, it's very gratifying. It's very gratifying. Yeah, let's let's talk about actually putting it together because you talked about how you know you have a vetting process. Obviously, that's super important. You have your amount of teams that you like to have, 12 to 15, and, and you talked about who, who does well and you know, who kind of gets through the application process. But then there's the other, the other part of it is you and, and your wife, Pam, figuring out, like, how do you continue to figure out where to go? What type of scavenges to have in these places? Because when you have repeat people coming, I mean, I, I assume you've used similar scavenges over, you know, the 16 years and what have you, but you're constantly creating new things. So how do you like, is it all places you've been and things you've done? Do you crowdsource it from friends and people you know who are travelers? Because that would be incredibly difficult. Like, I'm even thinking about my hometown of Philadelphia and saying, all right, if someone came here, what could I think of, like, 15 things that they could do that would be awarded different points? And it would be hard for me to come up with that. And I live here and have lived here. So how do you do that for yeah. all these places around the world? Yeah, well, that's a that's a that's a good question. Uh, you know, that's part of the uh, the recipe that we have that we've gotten very good at over the years. I mean, I've been now traveling the globe uh, for forty years. 
I couldn't tell you how many countries I've been to. I stopped counting decades ago. Uh, I, you know, Johnny Cash, I've been everywhere, man. Uh, and, but, you know, I still have a lot of things that I want to do and a lot of places I haven't been to. So I've been to a lot of places. This trip so far, uh, this adventure that we put on has gone to 85 countries so far. And now even saying 85 countries, I mean, you know, America, you know, United States is a big country. And, you know, if you've only if I could technically say I've been to United States, if I've been to New York. Right. But that doesn't mean you've been to New Orleans, you've been to Los Angeles or San Francisco or Seattle or Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or Chicago or Miami or, you know, so there are many elements and places you go to within countries. And there are countries that we have gone to repeatedly because they're such big countries and so wonderful and a rich, I call them rich target environments for cultural things to do. Uh, so. We do repeat on a few and there's logistically when we're traveling around the world and literally circumnavigating the globe, there are a couple chokehold places that you have to go through to move on. You know, you can't get to Southeast Asia, certain destinations in Southeast Asia, quite frankly, unless you go to Hong Kong or you go to Bangkok or you go to Singapore. So those are places in the in Southeast Asia. You can't get through the Middle East, unless you go to Abu Dhabi, Dubai, or Qatar, you know. So there are certain areas that, that logistically we do pivot through at different things. And I figured out how to deal with those because we have been there. You know, maybe the first event we went there, and I don't want to go again. Uh, Bangkok, for instance. Bangkok is one of the great places to do what I call a layover challenge. Okay, so we're testing people's travel skills, right? Their travel IQ, the things they can do and how they go about doing it. And that's what the scavengers are designed to do. They're designed to test your logistic strength, how you get around, how you communicate with people, your travel savvy, your situational awareness. You know, obviously there's competition involved, so there's a heat of battle involved. There's the the uh, the marathon aspect of traveling for 23 days, there's fatigue. There's yeah, fatigue and quick this. travel too. Like that, yes. you know, you're not lollygagging around saying, I'm going to spend no. seven days on the no. beach. This, in, in this is not a sleep on yeah. the beach cruise. This no. is an active person's, you know, you're you're doing things 12, 14 hours a day. You're having fun doing those things. And then there's the, the jet lag aspect. We are traveling the world and you got 24 time zones to deal with. So you're dealing with all these things, and that's why it's a travel adventure competition and it's a world travel championship, because it does mix all those things together. And so each destination is different, but the 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 uh, the one I was mentioning about Bangkok is we do the layover challenge. Now, just doing a layover, you know, some people don't mind spending three, four hours at airports. Personally, I hate it. I don't like malls. Why would I go to a, sit in an airport for three, four hours? Because that's what they all are now, right? Malls. And so we put together a layover challenge. And basically, think about that. Okay, so what do they have to do in a five-hour layover challenge in Bangkok? Well, the first and most important thing is don't miss your flight. Right. So I, okay? I assume you've had this happen before, right? You've had to have had people miss flights. We have never had anybody miss a flight. All right. All right. Okay. Ever. These wow. are good travelers, travelers. All right, These okay. Are good travelers. Okay. No one has ever missed a flight. Wow. So they have to retro engineer, regress, you know, reverse engineer their their time. 
And so what they have to do is they have to figure, okay, how much, how long is this going to take me to go through customs, to go through immigration, to get to my gate? Because that's what they're going to have to do. So they have to figure out what that is. Now, the other aspect of it is most of our travelers only travel with carry-ons, right? So they clearly don't want to take the carry-on for three, four hours with them. So what do they do? They got to find a place to leave their bag for three, four hours. So they have to deal with that. Then our event is all about public transportation. They can't hire a car and have a driver just drive them around for four or five hours. They have to use public transportation. And sometimes, for instance, in Bangkok nowadays, one of the scavenges is, is use four modes of public transportation. Okay. So they're on boats, yeah. they're on the sky trains, yeah. they're on the subway, they're in a tuk-tuk, they're, they're doing four different modes of transportation. So they have to figure all that stuff out. And then you attach food to that. They got to eat something while they're there. Because if you don't eat something in a destination, you're not really in the destination. Totally so my thinking is, too. That's food me. is very important. Yep. If you're even somewhere for an hour and you don't eat something there, you're missing out on the country. And then maybe there's something iconic or culturally iconic that I ask them to do. Uh, you know, go find the reclining Buddha or go to Wat Po and get a massage or, you know, go to the omelet market and, and buy a specialty omelet uh, that's going to give them, uh, you know, some mojo for the rest of the trip. So they have to do stuff and they have to go out and spend those four or five hours doing that. So it's very unique as far as that. And it really does test somebody's travel chops. Now, the first couple of days, everybody's on equal footing, but very quickly they find out that there's some teams that are really, wow, they're really good at this. And I try to tell people, you know, the adventure is the adventure itself. You can compete in this event and then we have some serious competitors, but I really want you to have a great adventure and do stuff. So I want everybody and all the teams to find their own Goldilocks spot. And it's interesting how competitive people get. We offered prize money one year and that was not pretty. Huh. Instead of the trip, instead of like a return trip. Then. Exactly. Yeah. We offered $50,000 in prize money and it was, it was, it was ugly, Travis. I will never do that again. Uh, it really changed the dynamic of the trip, having done both ways, uh, how people acted and how they reacted and the things they said and did. And uh, it, uh, human nature, as I mentioned, I, I always thought it was about travel, but it really is about people. And the competitive natures of people sometimes can get the best of it. This trip really puts a mirror up to people's face. And, you know, there's that old saying, I think it was Buckaroo Banzai, I could be wrong, but no matter where you go, there you are. If you're a certain type of person, it's going to come out on this trip, whether you like it or not. And I tell everybody, I say at the beginning of the trip, I go, you know, you're now meeting everybody, all these other teams for the first time, you know. Stay in a good, you know, put your best foot forward, okay? Don't show us who you really are <laughs> too early. And this this event really holds up a mirror to people. Uh, you know, I, I found out no names. That would be in the book. Uh, but, uh, you know, people who are cutthroat in their business world and the world they live in, it comes out in this event or – People who are very nice but get walked on a lot, they get taken advantage of. The dynamic is very, very interesting. And uh, each one is unique. And as much as we try to vet it, uh, you know, get rid of the negative Nellies, get rid of the people that are total neophytes that really don't belong out there. Eh, you know, there's always one or two teams or one or two people on, a, on different teams that come in and uh, get, get, get through there some way, somehow. 
they bamboozled us and uh, there's hell to pay at some point. Yeah, for sure. So then you have these 12 to 15 teams. How many of those teams would you say pretty early on decide not that they don't want to get points, but that they're not going to that they're not going to go to win like that. They're not going to shoot for the actual crown. They're just saying, all right, listen, these other people, no way we compete with them. You know, we're just going to do it, uh, compete against ourselves, have fun, what have you. Yeah. And I encourage that. I got to tell you from the get go, I really do encourage that. I call it the third day syndrome. And it usually happens on the third day of the trip, no matter where we are in the world. Uh, by the third day, they understand a what they're going to be required to do and how they they're going to have to participate if they want to participate in a serious way. And then they also understand by then how other teams are doing. And it's like it's a combination of push and pull them and the external push that's going on. You know, I want to say 60, 70 percent of the teams continue to participate, but usually it's 30 to 40 percent of the teams kind of realize, okay, I'm just going to have a whole ball here and just have a great, great experience and just do it differently than what I originally thought. Because I'll be honest with you, Travis, everybody that enters this race, everybody that contacts us absolutely with 100 percent certainty thinks that they're the world's greatest travelers. <laughs> yeah. They even do. sitting here, I'm thinking, oh, man, I could win this. But then I'm but then you talk about certain situations and you're sitting thinking, Maybe not this and that. Well, let's ask you, would you win this if you weren't, obviously, if you're not the one putting it together, but if you're involved in this, would you win it? And who would you be taking as your partner? Well, that's a tough question, first of all, because that's like explaining hockey eras. And you brought up Wayne Gretzky and, you know, is Gordie Howe better than Wayne Gretzky? Was Bob Orr better than Wayne Gretzky? And you can't explain errors. I can only tell you this. I can only tell you that in the one and only open world championship that was ever taken place on public transportation, I won. All right. Would I do well now? I would like to think I could. But of course. Everybody thinks they could, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I, I agree. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, everybody that gets on this event, at the when they start at that at that starting gate, when we all meet at our Bon Voyage party for the first time, it is poker face city, you know? It is everybody's looking at each other and, you know, they're wearing shades, they're wearing hats, they're, they're you know, depreciating sense of humor, they're joking that they're useless and and then it starts and it's like, wow, you know, it is fun to watch. It really is. Uh, it is a very unique event, but it's very demoralizing. I will tell you, it's very demoralizing for people the first, like I said, by the third day. And uh, if they're on that side where they really were so delusional that they thought they were going to win and they're just so far off the pace that there's just no way they can even even compete, let alone win. And I do have to say this. It's mostly Americans. I, interesting. The Europeans and Canadians and Australians who who do well or think they're going to win, and they take it with a different grain of salt than Americans. Americans are crestfallen by that. They are really delusioned, delusional that they think it's. I think it's part of our culture, our American exceptionalism. You know, we can beat anybody and do anything. And we at least we think that mythology of we can do that. And then all of a sudden we, we go up against a team that's really good. And we're like, wow, they, they're already past the finish line. And we haven't even gotten out of the starting gate. And it's like it's demoralizing. 
So what happens to those teams then that get demoralized? Because you have 23 days, right? It's a 23-day trip. You're on day three or four. You're demoralized. How are you able to pick up their spirits and try to ensure that they have a decent time or at least don't bring, obviously, the energy of everyone else down? Right. Uh, it, it, it is. First of all, I think there's a lot of self-medication that goes on. <laughs> on. So, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you that doesn't happen because that does happen. So there's a lot of that. You know, we have we have to have talks with people that they're they're ambivalent about competing and and how they want to participate. And I have to give a, you know, a bucking up conversation, a Newt Rockney speech to them. And uh, Pamela does the same thing. And, uh, you know, we get them we get them all going. I there there. I have to. You know, again, I want to knock on wood. I don't think there's anybody that's ever been on this trip that never wants to do it again. Mm, okay. And, so, and that so is, everyone that gets some, through it. Yeah. Like that is something amazing to me, Travis, because I always thought it was a once in a lifetime travel adventure. I really did. And, you know, 20% of the people that go on this trip, 25%, it could be more. We just decided that 20, 25% is the number. We are repeat people. Wow. So you yeah. have you have that group, the 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 two attorneys. Are they both females? Because you no, said male, okay, female. it's a male female team that yeah. you're, you're Wayne Gretzky's um, and they come back. And then out of those 12 to 15 teams, how many are usually coming back from the previous year? Like do it back to back. Is is there usually a, a, a couple teams or a hand like two or three teams every year that that come yeah, back? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's about two or three teams every year or they or they, you know, they just can't get it out of their blood system. It's like me when I did it in 1989. I immediately wanted to redo it. Right. And it was like nothing ever happened. I had to wait to I put my thing together. I had to wait 12 years to kind of put some facsimile. And I live vicariously through it now. Uh, but usually it's it's uh, two or three teams from each each previous year. Uh, and then or maybe they had done it two years ago or a year ago and they just can't get it. They're jonesing. You know, they're they're like a, a, an addict. They want to do it again. And that is what it is. It becomes very addictive. I mean, because your adrenaline, your endorphins are moving and your dopamine is moving on a daily basis. You're totally pumped up. You're having so much fun meeting people and doing things that you never thought you'd do. And that's an exciting, exhilarating thing. Back to the being the, a thrillionaire. That's what this is about. And, you know, knock on wood, it, it is an amazing, amazing experience for people that get through it. Yeah, I think that as you get older and as you be, you know, you become adults and then maybe you have kids of your own and whatnot, we, you lose that sense of competitiveness because may, maybe people in their job have competitiveness, but that's a, that's a kind of a different animal, right? You might be doing it for different reasons to get ahead, get the promotion, this and that. We don't have that innate thing like you do when you go out to recess as a kid and you're just playing kickball and you want to win every day. Like there's just, there's a competition every day when you're a kid to do stuff and we don't have it. And so even just listening to you talk about, it, I think, well, I love travel, but I, I'm not comp like, I haven't competed when I travel. It's just me going out. Oh, I want to do this today. I want to do this today. It's neat to have someone holding your feet to the fire, having there be a reward at the end, knowing you're going against other people, testing yourself and then wrapped in something that all of us love, this idea of being out there traveling and seeing new cultures and meeting new people. Yeah, I could see how it could become a, a, quite an addiction. Like for me, I'm like, oh man, I better not start or else or else this could this could be tough. But um, yeah. you know what? You know what's the unique part about listening to you explain that and you're you're very you've you've got it down. You know, the competition part of it only happens when we tally up the scores. 
Because again, no, you can't see your competition anywhere. So you don't know. So what is driving you? And it's, this is the inner drive that people have. This is what they have inside them because no one is actually pushing them. It's not like you're running and, you know, the score's one to one and you're out there on a pitch and you're trying to do something or, you know, you're going to bat and you're, you know, two down in the ninth inning. It's not you against them per se. It's you against you. That's why I say it, it holds a mirror to you. And if you're a type of person, it's going to show you who you are. And it's that the part, that's the part that's very unique because, and that's where the delusion comes in of people because they went out and, you know, they spent two days in, I don't know, Hanoi or two days in, you know, Shanghai and they think they really rocked, (laughs) you know, they think they really, really rocked and they're telling their war stories. I mean, when people come back from, from a day or two out, they're, they have these beautific smiles, you know, they think they rocked and rolled. And then all of a sudden I have to tally up the scores and do everything. And they go, what we, are you kidding? How is that possible? That's when it comes in. So that's the external part where they have to hold themselves together. And if, and if they're strong, you ask how I buck them up. Most people are self-motivated and they realize, okay, yeah, I see how they did 10 more things than we did and earned an amount of points, but we still had a great time. We still did amazing things and things we're going to remember for the rest of our lives. And we still want to do that, but we just now know we're not going to win. Yeah. I can see why it's day three, because as immediately when you started mentioning, you're not seeing what other people are doing until you tally. I was thinking, oh yeah, like there's no running scorecard, especially in the beginning. You're, you're waiting until day two, day three, whatever, that first leg. And it dawned on me that, yeah, I'd be out there thinking, oh, we are just killing it. This is awesome. And I can see why you'd be crestfallen. You come back and all of a sudden you have half the points of another team and you just sit there and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It's a complete shock versus, you know, you're getting blown out. You're playing soccer, you're getting blown out or basketball. Someone's way better than you. You know it, that you know it the moment you step on the court and start playing like, yep, I don't have a shot here, but for these people and possibly me someday, it'll be three days in before I realize I don't have a shot. Right. So. Okay. So they're in, they're in three days. And then we go, let's say we go to, uh, the real test in my book for places to take people for travelers is India. And yep. it remain and it for remains sure. that way. Yeah. Uh, it yep. remains, it remains the ultimate test of people. And, you know, we may spend four days in Rajasthan with logistically, they have, again, public transportation, they can't hire a car, they have to figure out how to get from here to there and do things and accomplish things, not get sick, you know, uh, deal with the, with the weather, uh, deal with the people and everything that they're having to deal with. And so they may have gone, you know, two, three days and maybe they're real close to the top or they're still competing. And then they, then they spend four days in India. And it's the great equalizer. Even the best teams life changes for them in India, you know, and it's, it's, and then it allows the door for people that were slow and steady, you know, that did things a little differently. And so the turtle and the hair thing comes into play. And I, where they, did they get on the back of that truck instead of waiting two hours for the next bus, uh, you know, and just jump on a truck with a bunch of people. Did they do that? Were they creative? And, you know, not everybody wants to do that, but you know, to me, that's what travel is about. Eating people and doing unusual things. Anybody can book a car and go visit iconic sites. Yep. Anybody can do that. 
Yeah, you're so right. I, I heard a quote once. This was right before I went to India, and then I went to India, and I understood what they meant. And it said there's two types of travelers, those who have been to India and those who haven't. And I was like, eh, really? Like, we've done some hard traveling. And then we went to India, and I thought, wow, the person who said this quote had obviously been to India because it was so true. It's just a completely different animal in in every in every single way. So it's interesting that that you brought that up then. I want to ask about how long it takes you guys to plan this out. I mean, is this a whole year thing? Like from maybe not the moment that that it ends. I'm sure you take a break as I'm sure most of the travelers come back. You know, it's it's been fun, but it you must be pretty burnt out. When do you start planning for the next year? That's a good question. Uh, I'll be honest with you, every year I do it is the last year I'm ever going to do it. Now, having said that, I'm into 15 events and I'm getting ready to do the 16th in a month or two. Okay, so every time I do it, it's the last one I'm going to do. I mean, it's not the the livelihood. It's you know, do we make money off this? Sure, we do as as an event and putting it. It isn't what keeps us going in our lives. I'm a writer. I write books. I do different things. Uh, you know, we have a different different world point of view of our lives and how we live our lives. Uh, but you know, around Labor Day every year, my wife looks at me and goes, I noticed you haven't talked about the global scavenger hunt for a couple months. And I go, yeah. And now she goes, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I go, I don't know. You tell me. And and so we kind of, she pushes me or I push her. And, you know, depending on who's who wants to do it more that year, we start figuring it out. And then, you know, around Labor Day, we go, she'll start maybe saying, well, these dates work. You know, uh, it's after Passover or Easter. It's before graduation and weddings. It kind of works in the spring. Uh, and I kind of go, hmm, well, I don't have anything planned for that time period. And so we have this dance that we do. And it usually starts around Labor Day for April. The first aspect of it is, of course, to get enough people to go on the trip. So that usually happens around now. Uh, you know, some people are already signed up and want to go from years in past. So we already have them in the hopper. Then we start working on people and, you know, people sign up and life happens. And we understand that uh, marriages happen, babies happen, people get pregnant, people lose their job. Uh, you know, life happens. And so we understand that. So we have ebbs and flows of teams. Right now we're in the process of actually hooking up individual travelers that want to go, but don't have teammates, but they're still passionate about going and want to participate. So we're now doing a, you know, lack of a better term, a, a, you know, a hook me up, a dating service without the sex aspect of it to see if they'd be good teammates. And so we're in that process filling a couple bubble holes right now. Uh, and so that's, we're 75 days out. I have not picked the itinerary yet. Wow. Okay. So, man. And even- for good reason. And for good reason, which is right now as we're talking, Travis, you know, we're in the midst of the coronavirus. Right. So when we're talking that is, February. That is on a daily basis, yep. changing the way the world is traveling. Yeah. So we're talking February 2020, early February 2020. Your plans are to go, The you know, your event in 2020 is April 17th through. April 17th. So we're 75 days away. Yeah. And and yeah, yeah. The coronavirus, which, which obviously, as you mentioned, I mean, you're not going to parts of China. Who knows? you know, uh, what's going to be shut down, what's not. So when do you usually 
start putting the itinerary together because then you book everyone's plane ticket, right? Because they don't know where they're yeah. going. So you oh, have to- where go. We do everything, yeah. Do you uh, have a service that helps you do that? Wait, one more. Do you guys have a service that helps you book that since you've been doing it every year? Or do you just actually, only you go on and put everyone's name in and book everyone's flights. No, we don't do that. That would be that would be madness. I, I mean, that, you, well, you said you were insane. Be, so no, I, just I, I, have a, I have a very good air guy. Uh, I've you only used two air people that I've made relationships with. Uh, one was for the first uh, seven eight trips, and he retired. Uh, he was an older Dutchman uh, who had been around. Just he'd been what talk about a brain for logistics. Uh, 45 years in the business was the, was the, just an amazing individual. Uh, and he retired though, sadly. And, uh, I used then at that point, I used my secondary backup for that, that I always had. And I've used him since then. Uh, but one person, there's only three people in the entire world that know where we're going. And it's Pamela, myself and the air guy. And, uh, my kids don't even know. And I have two kids now. My one daughter, she's 24. So she's been into the event since the get go. But, you know, she's at college in the Netherlands. And so she never knew where we were going. But my son, he's 14. Uh, I think he's been around the world now seven, eight times, 55 countries. He never knows where we're going. And it's like, we actually think it's child abuse that we're putting him through because he doesn't, I mean, think about this, taking a teenager and say, yeah, we're going away for three weeks. Where are we going? Well, we're not going to tell you. I mean, you know, yeah. so he goes with, so you, Pam and him, your, your son now, since your daughter's in school, go as, as like the support crew, like you go yeah. every year. Yeah. Is, yeah. is there any other people who go as help or is it just you depending, two? depending on the logistics and where we are i we have had people go with us uh that do advance for us that are two days ahead of us so every day they're two days ahead of the the whole event from beginning to end and making sure everything all the logistics are where they need to be because what we're what we're responsible for and what we do is we obviously put together all the air uh, all the hotels uh and then ground transportation to the hotel uh, once we get off the plane, I want to move everybody as quickly and as efficiently as possible to the hotel. Uh, once we're in the hotel, the way it kind of goes is I look at everybody and see how weary they are, how big their their luggage is under their eyes. And I kind of go, OK, this may mean two hours or three hours or four hours downtime because they only ever know where they're going. Their new country four hours before we get the plane leaves. It's called the four hour notice. And once they're it. given the I four hour it. notice. They have to pack and get to the airport and not not miss their plane. But coming back, we get everybody to the hotel. I give them time to refresh. You know, some people have to send their laundry or find a fluff and fold nearby. Uh, some people want to take showers. So we get a lot of writers that go on the trip. Uh, they have to do a, a posting or something. Uh, you know, whatever they need to do for two, three hours. And that's when we meet everybody and we start the leg. And we give everybody the scavengers at the same time. And then I look at my clock and I go, okay, we'll see you in three days upstairs at the bar at nine o'clock at night. And that's when they will get their next four hour notice. So we kind of go around like that. But it starts, you know, I start putting the air together around 75 days out. You're a smart traveler. The best tickets to buy international air are between 60 and 45 days out. Right. Yep. Two month window. Yep. And that's for international. We never have flown on domestic travel on, on domestic flights. So 
whatever happens in America stays in America. We don't deal with that at all. I'll be honest with you. We're very jaded as far as that goes because I hear absolute horror stories about what's going on in America traveling and going places. We don't travel domestically. I mean, when I travel domestically, I'm in Alaska air up and down the coast, and it's always nonstop to one place to another, and that that's it for me. Yeah. Okay. I'm always going somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's the world's a big place. Might as well take advantage of it. All right, so they get their four-hour four notice. How, how early do they know for the first trip? Like, where do you all meet? Obviously, you have to meet somewhere. Where is that usually? Do you have a, a tipping off point? Is it LA? Is it San Francisco? I mean, yeah. you're on the West Coast, so those those are the two places they do know. But because they're probably both in North America, it's not giving away too much of a surprise. Uh, we do tell them where they need to be at the starting gate on April the 17th. So last year, for instance, uh, our our departure place, everybody needed to be in Vancouver, Canada, at three o'clock on that Friday when the event starts. And so they do know that they're they're going to be in Vancouver, Canada, and they know that in it well in advance. So uh, sixty start. days in advance. Okay, so they can start planning. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then they and know then, where they're come back, where they're going to come. And back. then fifteen days later, we give them where we're going to end. Okay. Uh, last year we ended in Miami, and so they knew they were going to be leaving, arriving in Miami at the last day of the event. Gotcha, gotcha. But other than that, but in between <laughs> there are ten, ten places they don't know where they're going. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So people, if, if people are listening and they, and they're interested in this and I am very interested in this, what about the logistics of how much it costs? We talked about the dates for 2020, April 17th through what was it? May 3rd, May 9th, May 9th, May 9th right? Cause you had 23 yeah. days always usually in that spring window, right? You guys tried to yes. do it there. So it's time to travel. I don't know when you travel Travis, but I know it's harder with people with, with children, but it's the best time to travel. Uh, first of all, it's uh, it's late spring in the northern hemisphere, and I have to tell this to everybody because, but it's also early fall in the southern hemisphere, and we usually do get to the southern hemisphere too. Again, we're going around the world, and uh, we pretty much hit four continents while we're doing that. We don't promise we're going to hit four continents, but we usually do. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, you get good weather almost around the world, yeah. plus yeah. a good time for people if you are. Western civilization based, you know, for, for schooling and, you know, just all that kind of jazz. So even if you can't go this year, people should look at that chunk of spring somewhere in there. And then what's it cost and how and what does that cover? Sure. The event cost to enter the event for a team is $25,000 for that team. And that includes all your international airfare for the two people going around the world. It includes 23 nights in hotels. Includes about 40% of your meals, you know, some ground transportation, as I mentioned, back to the hotels. Uh, and we get all our sponsors and everything put together. Great travel, goodie bags, swag bags, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's kind of what it costs. So it's about $500 a day. Uh, but the value added to that is really immense. And yeah, you know, it's some people say it's expensive, but then everybody, some people know the National Geographic tours around the world and the exhibition tours around the world. And they're ninety nine thousand dollars a person. Wow! Yeah, I've a never person. looked. I've never looked into any of those. <laughs> oh, look at those! It's kind of amazing because they do three week. They're basically their event is three weeks also. Wow! But they charge four times as much as we do per person. Wow! Yeah, that is that's a lot of money. That no matter who you are, 
$99,000 is a lot of money. And then how much do you would you estimate? Obviously, people's tastes are different. But what do people usually spend per person then on stuff that isn't covered? So, you know, sure. going on the scavenges, well, all, stuff like that. Sure. First of all, I don't ask you to buy anything uh, because I don't want you to turn into consumers. and I don't want your bag to fill up after two days. So that's not going to happen. If you're really about collection of experiences and doing things, it's more we call it sight doing, not sight seeing. So I want you to do stuff, to learn how to make baklava, to learn how to meditate, to learn how to how, how to fish in a certain country and, and to catch a fish and to go to a sporting event. So it's about experiences, not about actually collecting the things. Uh, you know, depending on your jewelry and your alcohol intake, uh, public transportation each day, maybe a meal here and there. For the team, it's less than $100 a day. Okay. So you're, you're looking, a team could be 2,500, you know, added on top for a yeah, team. You're going to yeah. be fine. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're in, if we're in Laos, you know, you're going to be hard, just hard pressed to spend 25 bucks a day. Right. Uh, if you're in Oslo, that 25 bucks is going to cover a coffee. Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. So all in, if you're a team, you're looking uh, under 30 K. So you're looking at about 13, 14,000 a person. Yeah. Per team and you yeah. see, and I did see on the site too you you recommend it you said a lot of people are, are funding it themselves paying out of pocket but there are teams or people who try to get sponsors and and things like that as well correct? yeah every year we have one or two teams that have more will than wallet but they're creative and travelers if they're nothing are very creative if they're really passionate about doing something they figure it out I mean we as travelers and I'm sure you'll appreciate this Travis I mean we make decisions life decisions based on our passion for travel, whether or not we're going to get a new car, whether or not we're going to get a mortgage, whether or not we're going to get a big screen TV, because we equate those things. God, we could spend, you know, two weeks in South Vietnam for, for that big screen TV. And now what would I rather have a new, another new big screen TV that, you know, is replacing another older big screen TV or an actual two weeks of experiences. People are very resourceful. Travelers are extremely resourceful. And it's one of the things I love most about them. And I know because that's what I had to do to do the 1989 trip. I had more will than wallet. There were I was up against very wealthy people that could very easily just sign a check and enter the event. But I had to figure it out. And uh, we help people do that. Uh, they get local sponsors. Some people are get their companies to sponsor them. Uh, some people get you know beneficiaries to sponsor them. Uh, you know, people do different things. Uh, some people do it for self-promotion because it helps them with their podcast, with their writing, with their blogging. And, uh, you know, we're winning the world's greatest travelers title is is something that people actually do want. Yeah, I, I want to. I, I am. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little worried that I'm being very delusional. <laughs> like I can, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally picturing myself on day three sitting yeah. there being like, yeah. Oh, I need another beer because I really thought that I was going to have a shot. And just looking at some super team of European travelers who have like, yeah, you know, whatever. They've done three times the amount that I've done. Um, all right. But I, I'm, I'm interested. So I'm going to look into it. I, you know, now the it, one thing, the one thing we don't, we don't, uh, we don't be penny wise, penny foolish on is our destinations or places we stay at. Now, my first preference is because, you know, we talked about this earlier changes. There are so many great boutique hotels now in the world that are really fun, unique places, you know, special. You're you're a special person when you go there and they take care of you and they're just relaxing. They're not the big boxes of the Hyatts and that kind of stuff. And 
we really try to stay at some fun, great places like that. Because, again, I want you to go out every day and spend 12, 14 hours doing stuff. But at the end of the day, I want you to know that it's safe. I want you to know that, you know, you can go online and do because some people do have to conduct their business while they're traveling. 23 days is a long time to take off for especially Americans, which is a whole nother thing I could talk about. Uh, I ended up part of this part of the uh, vetting process is one of my questions is, can you get 23 days off? Right. Right. Yeah. OK. So I'm talking to Travis. I'm talking to people, Skyping with people 20 years ago all over the world, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Europe, everywhere. And oh, of course, you know, we get three weeks off. Yeah, no, I got a month off. I got six weeks off. I got eight weeks off. Then we get to our American friends. Go, oh, yeah. Twenty three days. Ah. Well, maybe if I can put together two weeks from this year and then maybe he'll give me a week from next year, I can kind of put it together. So I wrote a book. After about five years of these dialogues, I wrote a book called America's Vacation Deficit Disorder. Okay, yeah. And it explains our whole unique American exceptional predicament because we're the only country in the world that does not mandate vacations. Yeah, and and we don't even have to get into maternity leave, but that's a whole huge... Or sick leave. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty wild when you look at a map of, of places that have, you know, X amount of, you know legal or have to give um like mandated maternity leave and there's like two countries that don't it's america and i forget the other one i always forget but it's some random country you know in, in the middle of nowhere and you're like ah this does not bode well for no for it doesn't bode well us teaching people so, to travel and see the world but um i'll be honest with you that i'll be honest with you that's our biggest for our american friends our american travelers that's the biggest issue that they have yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, I see it all the time. And and um, I, I assume you don't get many Japanese travelers because they're in an even worse predicament um, when it comes to time off, as, as we learned from living in Japan, too. So, yeah, yeah. Those Aussies, though, they, they I don't even know if anyone works down there half the time. Oh, well, they do. They have a very <laughs> I'm sure you've been to Australia. Everything works. And great lifestyle. Got a job. They, yeah. Yeah. They got a great lifestyle. Well, this is awesome. I guess I should ask you then, Bill, since since you said every year is your last one. We have to know, though, if I can't get on the 2021 and if people listening are like, oh, the 2021 is too tight. April's coming up. Is there going to be a 2021 world scavenger hunt? Or are we just going to have to wait and find out? Well, you know, our website, Global Scavenger Hunt, is always there. I, I do write odd pieces in there. Uh, usually around Labor Day, the next uh, is the date that uh, my wife decides what dates that I'm going to do this. And that's when it goes up. So you're going to have to wait. Uh, I don't want to. I've always told my kids I never make promises I don't keep. So I don't want to make any promises I don't keep. But uh you know, I think we've done well. I will tell you that in the back of my mind, I want to get to 100 countries on this trip. Mm, okay. And I'm at 85. And you're not going to hit 15 this year. So. Not going to hit 15. All so right. there's a there may be one or two left in the left in the uh, old pike for me. Fingers crossed. We're just going to have to bug your wife Pam a lot. Um, if if you ever think you're going to hang it up, we'll have to make sure we we put a bug in her. You know, you know, Travis, and you know, one of the reasons why I mean, I travel a lot. I I mean, I have the best job in the world. This is really the best job in the world. I mean, I get to do. Think about what I get to do. I get to travel around the world. Of course, I get paid to do it, but I get to go research the places that we're going to. You ask me how I do this. I do it myself. It's my own experiences. 
And if there's some place that I feel challenged with, I'll go spend four or five days in those destinations to really get underneath the fingernails. I'll find out, I'll meet, I'll pre-met maybe a local travel writer. Uh, you know, back in the day, we used to know a lot of the Lonely Planet guidebook writers. Uh, I've had a lot of relationships with foreign correspondents. So we get to know places in a different level based on that. Uh, nowadays, we have friends everywhere in the world, which is really, really gratifying so we don't get to we see we see Barcelona in a whole different version than a tourist going to the iconic sites. Uh, you will see that iconic site, but you will see ten of the things that no one ever gets to see. So that's my that's my job. I get to do that, and I still you can tell I am still in, after forty years of traveling, despite the indignities of being uh, you know felt up more time than the happy hooker from a TSA agent. I still love to travel. I am enthusiastic about travel. I am positive about travel and hopeful about travel. You know, we haven't talked about some negative externalities. I'm an economist by trade, and we haven't talked about some of those things. And we could. We could spend another hour talking about this. But I talk about the positive things and the good things. It's a good thing. And I wake up to do that, and it's fulfilling for me. So I will tell you that as much as it is still all about the travel, it's still great about the people that go on this trip. They're great travelers too. And I get to swap war stories with them. I get to exchange things. And that, I got to tell you, that's one of the, I think that's one why we get a lot of repeat people. Not only is the uniqueness of the travel experience really in their blood and they're addicted to it, but they also know that they're with kinder spirits. They're with real, true, true world-class adventurers who have been around the block and have done things and everybody's different. You know, that been around the block for some is 200 countries. We've got people in the MTP that have gone on this. I don't know if you know who they are. The most traveled persons list. We've got people in that top five list that have gone on our trip and ex they didn't win and experienced this trip in a different kind of way. And that is great because we all swap stories and the, the enthusiasm that everybody shares. And hopefully, you know, your listeners can can sense that I'm not jaded. I'm still not. I'm still excited about travel. And yeah, sure. I hate sitting on the back of a Yak 11 plane sometimes for four hours, bumpy, going over the Himalayas and just white knuckling it. But I still love to do it. I yep. still love to do it. Yep, I, I'm totally with you, and and I feel the same way about about getting to do what I do. The reason we started the podcast was this exact reason of I want to swap stories and talk to people, kindred spirits who are interesting people who are all in this world of travel in some form or fashion, and just light you up, right? And that the fact that you get to actually go on the trips and that's that's your one of your jobs. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't get much better than that so yeah you're not hanging it up that's what that's what i got out of that you're not <laughs> hanging it up that's 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 the takeaway um bill awesome thank you so much for joining me to get today putting there such an awesome event and and more importantly just spreading the love as we just talked about of competition and travel and the positivity of it and and getting out of your comfort zone and doing things pushing yourself in ways that you probably wouldn't i just love everything that's wrapped up in the mission that you guys have over there and in the competition. So thanks for putting that together. Remind people one more time, what's the best way for them to come look at what you're doing, follow along. Cause I know you post some blog posts up there as it's going. So how can they find out about it? Possibly sign up this year, next year, where should they go? Sure. Well, obviously the place to start is global scavenger hunt.com global scavenger hunt.com. Uh, we can always be reached at our, our number. It's uh, area code three, one Oh, 
281-7809, but it's always best to start with Global Scavenger Hunt. Uh, Bill Chalmers, I'm on, I don't know what I'm on anymore. I don't even do any of that stuff, but someone takes care of it for me. Uh, but I'm on all those, all the usual places that I can probably be found at my not pseudonym, but my real name of William Chalmers. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You guys will be able to find it. It's all linked up. So when are you, website. I got to ask my question now. You asked me all these questions. Yeah. When are you and Heather going to join us? <sighs> you know, all right. We've got to, uh, like you said, is it best to trade? You don't want to be responsible for any divorces. So I don't know. Is it going to be Heather and I? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if she could put ah, up with me for 23 ah, okay. days. I, I feel like she would be much better at it than me, which is just the way it is. But um, like just the way I see it. But I, I mean, 2021, I, I'd love to say 2020, but I know that's not going to happen with a six-month-old. Uh, it'd be hard to pawn a six-month-old off on someone for 30 days. You know what? I got to tell you, six months is a good, easy peasy to take with you because they're not walking and they're not talking. You know Do what you they have, need? You have you know, people bring infants and kids with them. We have. We have. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That makes yeah. it different. All right. I will tell you, the first time my son went, uh, he stopped. I, this is the, not a good story, but he, he stopped eating in Nepal. Okay. He wouldn't eat anything. <laughs> Just his system just shut, kind of shut down. He wouldn't eat anything. We had to FedEx peanut butter to Nepal to Kathmandu because that was the only way we were going to get protein in him. And how old was he at that point? Uh, just two. Okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. But when you stop eating rice, you know you got a problem. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. There's something's going on when you stop eating rice. Well, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, six months is a great time because it's the least that you're going to have to actually. You know when they need to be changed. You know when they need to eat, and they're going to sleep whenever they're going to sleep. Anyways, you're going to suffer jet lag. They're not going to suffer jet yeah, lag. Yeah, but I want to win, Bill. I, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, delu the, I'm deluding myself. Are for, I, I'm you know? still deluding myself into thinking I'm going <laughs> to win. You know, I'm, I want every advantage, not any disadvantage. Although maybe maybe okay. a kid could be an advantage. I, I doubt right. it. But want well, to see as my kids got older, our big thing because we had to take our. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with headmasters and principals. You know, but uh, bottom line is, my question is, they tell them all the work that they're supposed to do. I finally say so. If they don't do anything and they take three weeks off, are you going to fail them? And they say, no, no, of course not. They're great students. I go, okay. And they go, so don't let school, when you, when they get old enough, don't let school get in the way of a good education. I, I will promise, I can promise you that is, that will be the case, will not be the case. Right. We will not let it get in because we are. Travis, uh, it's been a pleasure. Oh, it has been my pleasure. I, I. I'm going to be following along. I'm super jealous that uh, I don't think we can make 2020 work. But 2021, I think this has to go on the calendar. April into May, uh, somewhere in there. Maybe we'll get some EPOP people to come on it with us. Uh, they can beat us. I mean, I'm sure I'm being delusional. There's probably a lot better travelers out there than me. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. And this has just been intriguing ever since I saw that you guys ran this. And I don't know the first time I came across this, but a, a couple years ago at least. And I saw this and just remember thinking... This is aw like this is awesome, and the people behind this are amazing people. That's even before I got to talk to you. So uh, now I know there's amazing people behind it. So pass along my best to your wife, and hopefully we'll get to uh, hang out when I get out to Oregon next, and, and get to hang out in person and swap some war stories. Thank you. Awesome, guys. We'll link everything up in the show notes. Extrapackofpeanuts.com/slash/shows. Bill, thanks again. Love it. Appreciate everything you're doing there. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for the continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. Until next time.
happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.